0: Welcome to the BJA Education Podcast. My name is Pooja Shah and in this podcast we shall be discussing the article Cannabinoids in Pain Medicine published in the September 2020 issue. The authors of the article are Dr Amul Deshpande and Dr Howard Meng. Dr Amul Deshpande is an Assistant Professor of Quality and Innovation at the University of Toronto. His clinical and research interests include cannabis in chronic non-cancer pain, with an interest in complex regional pain syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease. He is a member of the research committee of the Toronto Academic Pain Medicine Institute. Welcome, Dr. Deshpande.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Meng is a resident in pain medicine at the University of Toronto and a consultant anesthesiologist. His major research interests are cannabis and cannabinoids for chronic and perioperative pain. The use of cannabis and cannabinoids in medicine continues to generate controversy across the scientific community, and you discuss this in some detail in your article. Before we talk about this, though, I think it's quite important, at least for me as a trainee, to get a bit more understanding about the basics of cannabinoids and their action on the endocannabinoid system. Your article had a great diagram of this, and I would urge listeners to actually look at the diagram whilst um, Dr. Deshpani talks us through it.
1: Sure. Um, the diagram is 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 one that really illustrates the endocannabinoid system, which is really the mechanism um, by which all cannabinoids, whether they be endogenous or or external, um, act on our systems. And we don't won't go into detail, but essentially there's a couple of things to to think about here, at which the diagram illustrates. One is that the endocannabinoids are made on demand. So unlike traditional uh, neurotransmitters, um, they're not stored in vesicles, and they're actually made from the cell membranes um, in the postsynaptic neuron. When they're made, they actually get released into the synapse and act on the presynaptic neuron. So in this way, they act as a brake on the system. So if the presynaptic neuron is normally excitatory, cannabinoids will actually slow it down. And in contrast, if the presynaptic neuron is inhibitory, it'll actually speed that reaction up. And so by doing that, cannabinoids actually alter the native neurotransmitters. So, so that's really what this flow is showing in terms of how the internal cannabinoid system works. And then the external cannabinoids work on those similar receptors CB1 and CB2, which are on the presynaptic neurons.
0: Are there any specific pain modulating pathways that cannabinoids are thought to work at with greater effect?
1: So, so there's actually, so cannabinoid, the receptors are actually quite ubiquitous in the, in the nervous system, both the peripheral nervous system and the central. So the, most of the research is on the preclinical or animal side. And if we look at that body of literature, um, it seems that at least, again, in animals, cannabinoids work on multiple different systems. So if we were to sort of divide the nervous system up into the central uh, nervous system, being supertentorial the spinal cord and the peripheral nervous system i think the easiest way to sort of think about this is when we have a stimulus so we're looking at our ascending pathways so the stimulus as it travels from the peripheral nervous system up to the spinal cord cannabinoids are thought to basically um, reduce the nociceptive input going up towards the cns and it does this at the peripheral nervous system um, by reducing to a certain degree inflammation but also hyperalgesia and allodynia. And it does this through a variety of receptors. The next level up at the spinal cord, where it's also reducing those ascending inputs, it works at the D level of the DRG, and it reduces wind up as well as central sensitization. So the thinking is at least from a nociceptive or ascending um, pathway, cannabinoids help to reduce the amount of impulses going up. Cannabinoids, interestingly, also work the central nervous system in in what's known as descending modulation. So it helps to sort of reduce the the impact of those ascending impulses. And it does that at several different levels. Um, one, it does it at the sensory level, so where the inputs are coming into the thalamus. But interestingly, in humans, and I think this is really important, we'll chat about it later if it's relevant, is it also decreases the affective response to pain. So the emotional, if you will, have it response. And that's at least in humans and experimental studies, that may be a predominant mechanism for how pain is reduced. So it's more um, how unpleasant the pain response is rather than the intensity.
0: You mentioned the peripheral and the central components. Do you think endocannabinoids work more effectively on the peripheral or central in parts, or is it equal,
1: do you think? So in, if, we, if we're talking humans, it, it's it's very unclear. Um, if we're, we're talking animals, it, it's probably the spinal cord, but I'm not aware of any particular literature that emphasizes whether it's more a peripheral nervous system uh, factor that has more of a role, or whether it is at least at the spinal cord level. So I don't think that's fully elucidated, but I think the, you know, the major I think pushback um, if you look at the experimental studies and you put humans into the equation um, is how much of that affective component um, and the and the one thing we do have to realize is while we talk about animal studies um, animals and people so even within the animal kingdom uh, cannabinoids are are different and and they're distributed the receptors are distributed differently within animals so Dogs don't necessarily respond the same as monkeys. Monkeys don't necessarily respond the same as rats. So there is quite a bit of heterogeneity within the system, which makes it obviously challenging.
0: Of course. Going back to what you suggested about the endocannabinoids working on the descending pathway and sort of affecting the mood or the affect being Mm -hmm. part of where the pain modulation comes from. Now, obviously, with with our plant cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids that you talk about, these are chemical compounds that have been used, you know, produced during the recreational use of cannabis. What effects of these chemi- chemicals is it that's led us to anticipate the potential medicinal uses of cannabis?
1: So, I mean, that, that, so there's a, a huge body of literature on sort of the history of cannabis. And, and if we look at sort of the medicinal uses in general, um, it's quite a storied history. Um, but if we, if we even look at just sort of pain, let's focus on pain, um, you know, the, the ancient Chinese um, sort of documents suggest that cannabis was used as the, one of the first anesthetics, actually, um, mix, mixed with, uh, with alcohol um, at that time. You know, um, India, for example, has, has use of cannabis for pain. Um, and, and in the 1800s, um, William O'Shaughnessy, who, who's an Irish physician, um, worked with the, with the British Army, uh, was, was probably the main individual responsible for introducing uh, cannabis to the Western countries. So a long storied history in terms of what it's been used for. Um, and it's been used for, you know, to, to resolve symptoms of diarrhea and appetite and all these other things. But in terms of pain, Um, It really sort of emanated out of China um, and then sort of was brought by William O'Shaughnessy. And I think as people started to look at the actual chemicals, as you talk about the phytocannabinoids, THC um, and CBD, and as we start to understand more about the cannabinoid system, um, I think that's where we look at sort of THC or tetrahydrocannabinol, um, which is sort of the euphoric. Uh, Compound and most well known. That's where all the effort has been in terms of looking at what is the, at least from what we know now, the main component that sort of elicits analgesia. And it is sort of the thought to be at least the THC acting on CB1 and CB2 receptors, um, producing analgesia along with all of its other um, effects like anti inflammation and antiemetics and sedation and all these other kinds of things. And, And if you look at, and I guess what cements that home is if you look at different jurisdictions, Um, whether it be uh, Colorado, where it's completely legal, California, or even Canada, where we are right now, um, there are multiple surveys done. 90% of patients uh, are using cannabis to manage pain. So far and wide, way above any of the other effects of cannabis.
0: Before we come on to the pain, you mentioned that actually throughout history, cannabis has been used for various ailments, including things like diarrhea, I think you mentioned. Do we think cannabis or cannabinoids treats anything else as effectively as it does
1: pain? So, I mean, I, I think that's, that history is still to be written. I think there is, and this is where we get into the, let's just say, the, the narratives of cannabis um, being great for everything. But I do think when you look at, and again, we go back to the endocannabinoid system, it is so ubiquitous. Um, it's not surprising that when you take cannabis, it has a number of both intended and unfortunately unintended consequences. Um, But it is in the gut. So absolutely. So cannabinoids do slow the gut. And there's some interest in using cannabinoids uh, for the management of IBD, so inflammatory bowel disease, um, both in terms of its autoimmune response, but as well as pain within IBD as well. There is interesting research on using cannabinoids in the context of psychosis to manage psychosis, not cause it, um, as well as mood disorders such as depression. Um, There's interesting work going on bone health. So, you know, we're going down the line, but we are really in the early days. And most of this is either, um, again, preclinical, or extremely anecdotal on the on the human side. So um, a long way to go. But absolutely, I think, I think pain is the most obvious. And again, um, from patients, probably the the most um, dominant reason for using it um, but there are absolutely other reasons and sedation is probably the net the next other major one that that uh, indication for you know for research and where people are getting excited about this this particular compound.
0: Huge resource of research into the use of cannabinoids in acute and chronic non-cancer pain. Is it possible to summarize your findings Um, just to give us
1: a little bit of an overview? Sure the biggest misnomer around cannabis is is there isn't a lot of research on it in, in fact there is a lot of research particularly in pain I think the bigger challenge is the quality of that research um, So if we look at acute pain I think it's fairly um, fairly well determined that cannabis is not a suitable therapeutic for acute pain um, and we talked about a systematic review that's done and in general most of the original trials were negative in terms of suggesting any benefit from cannabis, uh, particularly in the post-operative setting for your audience. So um, it doesn't seem to be all that useful. When we switch to chronic pain, um, there are actually over 100 studies, um, about half of them are RCTs, um, and the other half are mixed. Um, so a fairly, again, quality notwithstanding, fairly good number of studies available. And, and I think, and this is where it gets a little complicated, and the article goes more into it. But I think if you can sort of parse it out, um, there is probably pretty good evidence for its use, at least in neuropathic pain. Um, I think when we look at other pain conditions, the, the jury is still out. Um, and some would even argue if you look at uh, you know, benefit versus harm, some people would even argue with that neuropathic pain um, being an indication of it. But, but I think that that's where the probably the strongest indications are at this point in time. And the article goes through, through some of those studies as well to help the reader understand where that's coming from.
0: Based on this and your personal experience in pain management, um, how does this translate to clinical practice?
1: Um, in a very complicated way. <laughs> so, so, so I, I mean, I think that, that that's the challenge, right? Um, one, you know, the way we use it here in Canada, it's, it's a bit different because we obviously have it available um, now or since October 2018, both recreationally as well as medicinally, and the medicinal has been there since 2001. Um, but, but I think the, you know, clinicians need to look at every uh, case is N of one trial. Um, Right now, I would say the majority of physicians here uh, are using it for neuropathic pain, predominantly. On our Canadian guidelines, it is also indicated as a third line agent for neuropathic pain. And and I would suggest that most clinicians follow that. So we use your, your normal adjuvant therapies, your gabapentinoids, your TCA's first line, your opioids, second, and then your cannabinoids. So um, often I will use it in those patients who do have um, some objective evidence, um, as best we can determine of neuropathic pain, and who really haven't responded well to traditional therapies, then I may introduce a trial of cannabinoids in that individual, assuming there are no contraindications. That's probably um, a general kind of heuristic, which I think most physicians would go by.
0: And... For the anaesthetist who encounters a patient with chronic pain, who ventures into the anaesthetic room, who's on um, cannabinoids, what kind of things do we have to be aware of
1: um, in these patients? So, so great question. So, full disclosure, I, I, I'm not an anesthesiologist. Um, I, I work with a number of colleagues and I'm sort of familiar with the literature. Um, you know, number one, it's, it's an interesting and shall we say sort of expanding area in terms of research. So, um, I think all the details are not out, but, but I think the first, and there are some guidelines. If you, if you look, there's actually a 2019 paper, I think, out of Baylor University, um, if your, if your uh, listeners are interested, which, which sets out sort of some good parameters. But, um, I think the first thing is simply to, you know, when a patient comes in in sort of a, you know, pre anesthetic consult is, is to ask them about their use of cannabis. I think that's the first start um, here. There are still some patients who believe this is a natural substance and is not medicinal. So when you ask them on any medications, they happen to just forget that they're taking cannabis on a daily basis. So you really need to be explicit with these individuals. Um, and when you're getting that cannabis history, I think dose and frequency is important to understand, um, what the effects might be both during as well as in the post-operative phase. So, you know, if someone said they took cannabis once, six months ago, it's, it's probably not a big deal. Um, if you have someone who's taking, you know, several grams of, you know, um, Dried flour cannabis on a daily basis, um, that's someone you need to watch for. The the other suggestion is at least on the elective surgery, if someone has been at least smoking cannabis, um, at least within the first hour, they have a higher risk of myocardial infarction. So it's an elective procedure. And they told you, well, they just went outside and you know smoke some cannabis. You may actually want to sort of cancel or delay that surgery. That's been some of the recommendations there. Um, In terms of Sort of moving forward in the induction phase, uh, this actually been both anecdotally. I know some, some, um, some of these have asked me why, and I don't think we fully understand the reason, but the induction doses of propofol are, are increased in chronic cannabis users. Um, so that ends up being a significant recurring theme. And then, and then in the post operative phase, um, often these individuals need, uh, higher use of analgesics so so that's something that um that you need to be aware of um they don't have sort of um Better pain control, they often have worse, and you need to be aware of that. And, and then, I guess, on, on the chronic side, what you always need to be aware of is if you do have a heavy user, um, you need to be aware of, of withdrawal symptoms. Uh, because if they haven't told you about their cannabis use and they're in the post operative phase and they're in patients and they're three to four days post op, they actually may start to go into withdrawal and get irritable and may get insomnia, um, they may get abdominal pain. So, these are all things you need to be aware of that may be due to their cannabis withdrawal if that's happening.
0: It's interesting because, as as it is a recreational agent, patients do frequently not divulge that they they do yeah. use cannabis quite regularly. But obviously, it does, um, affect a lot of our practices throughout the intraoperative and postoperative period. So that's quite helpful.
1: Yeah. No, um, absolutely. Yeah.
0: It sounds like it's a very interesting time for um, the use of cannabinoids in medicine. You know, multiple diseases that we might be able to manage, especially chronic pain, which has always been quite difficult to manage for most patients. Uh, There's lots of research, but obviously there's the huge controversy about the use of cannabinoids in medicine. Do you think we're any closer to being able to suggest that it's the right thing to do?
1: So, so that that's that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I often in 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 some of my sort of lectures and 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 talks, particularly with sort of fellows and residents, um, I'll use this this term that at least we're aware of in North America called Miles Law, which is um, where you stand is a function of where you sit, and it's sort of a political law that basically says, um, you know. How, how you view the world really depends on what side of the fence you're already standing on. Um, and in Canada, we certainly continue to have sort of, you know, pretty vociferous uh, debates about whether cannabis is is evil and the scourge versus whether this is kind of the, the, the best pharmacology that we've seen, um, especially given the whole opioid crisis issue. So I, I think we're getting, I think the research is moving us closer to a better understanding of cannabis. I would say that the basic sciences are far ahead of the clinical sciences, and we need to sort of you know, um, get further ahead on the clinical side um, before we can really sort of understand this. And, and, and I think the most important thing, you know, when we, when you say are we closer, I think the most important thing for clinicians is to look at this objectively. Um, and I think there's often a lot of sort of personal bias, um, but wh- whether that's with your own patients, with your own sort of good experience or bad experience that comes in. But if we were to really sort of carve this out and look at the science, um, it's it's a fascinating um, therapeutic, we know chronic pain is quite difficult we don't have any great answers for this i don 't think cannabis is the panacea by any means, and I think the research really needs to focus on sort of who are the right patients for for this pharmaceutical agent and and there are many unanswered questions that still um, I think scare clinicians um, in terms of dose in terms of routes of administration in terms of which cannabinoids work. Um, in terms of long-term adverse effects, so so I I think we're closer. I still think we have a long way to go till we truly understand this um, in its in its sort of fullness.
0: I suppose um, a lot of negative media attention is what you know prevents people from truly being able to understand and be able to see what what the drug has to offer and how it does modulate our physiology.
1: Hopefully, the article helps your readers to to understand where we are um, in this whole sort of cannabinoid, shall we say, narrative, Um, and it gives them hopefully an objective idea of how to think about cannabis. And I think as as clinicians. Um, particularly in the chronic pain field, I think we're always looking to help patients and and find sort of the next best thing. Um and unfortunately, as opioids has taught us that doesn't always work out well and there are unintended consequences. Um Having said that, I think we need to do, you know, we need to be open to alternatives. And I think cannabinoids is an alternative. But again, I think we have just sort of temper our expectations. So like most things in in life, I often believe that the answer is somewhere in between. So I think it'll absolutely help a number of patients, um, but it certainly won't help them all. And we need to, as clinicians, navigate that and help our patients to decide what the best sort of route forward is for that.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Deshpande. We've been discussing cannabinoids in pain medicine. I would urge our listeners to have a read of the article the authors talk and sort of discuss in detail the physiology and the pharmacology of endocannabinoids and the cannabinoid system, which would give us a better understanding of um, this drug. Please visit www.bjed.org to download the article.